Hello and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I am your host, Austin Glidden, and today, as always, we are brought to you by the Film Yap. Go check out thefilmyap.com for all things film. They never shut up about movies over there. Now, uh, you can follow us on social media. That's Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, will pop up, and at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at Medium Cool Pod at gmail.com. Now, today is very exciting because we are starting our John Cassavetes uh, marathon, starting with Faces and Husbands. And by we, I don't mean Joe and I, I mean me, Austin, your humble host, and my good old friend, Jake Bottolieri. He is, uh, we went to school together at Ball State University, and then he moved uh, to L.A. He went to the American Film Institute, and he was doing screenwriting, and you know he did a bunch of filmmaking and, and different things there, working with awesome talent. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think now he's uh, a screenwriter living that feast and famine life. And the part that I wouldn't quote me on is I'm pretty sure he even has like an agent and stuff. I mean, this dude is cool as heck. And um, yeah, he comes from an awesome family as well. Um, his dad, JB, is one of the guys on uh, 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 F This Movie. So if you want to go check out another um, film podcast, F This Movie would be a good choice. Uh, JB's on there a lot. Patrick is kind of the main dude from what I understand. And uh, I would love to cross paths. Okay. Um, if you're a wrestling fan and you watched AEW last week, I want to be like AEW and TNA impact wrestling. Like they, you know, they collaborated for anyone who doesn't listen to wrestling. That was the most boring 15 seconds you've ever listened to. But the point is this Jake's with me today. And we're going to be talking about Cassavetes, and I'm so excited about that. But before we get there, I just want to say uh, something real quick. Um, this weekend, my daughter, my wife, and I uh, watched a bunch of Christmas movies, okay? We're getting there. We're like 18 days away or something. It's ridiculous. 17, I don't remember. Counting is hard. But the point is, we're watching Christmas movies, and we watched a ton of awesome Christmas movies, or anywhere from decent to, to really good. There was one stinker. I'll get to it. But... I'd seen all of these before, but you know, my wife's really into Christmas movies and every year it's like we go through the marathon and it's really enjoyable. So, you know, we watch a lot of the old stop animation, uh, you know, um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman. We watched the original Grinch. Uh, you know, we watched Home Alone. We haven't gotten to Home Alone 2 yet, which I actually like, but I don't think it's a great movie, but I, I really enjoy it. Um, but uh, anyways, we haven't gotten there yet, uh, but we watched Home Alone, we watched Elf. We watched uh, uh, Polar Express, which I'd never seen before. It's fine. Um, I'd watch it again, but it's whatever. Um, and we watched, oh, what else? Uh, it's a Wonderful Life, which I appreciated more this time than I've ever appreciated it because I'm not a huge Frank Capper fan. Although, like John Ford, as I've mentioned before, not being a fan of John Ford really either on a personal level, I really appreciate what he and Capper were able to do. Capper uh, was a skilled storyteller, and uh, man, It's a Wonderful Life is really dark. You know, I mean, the movie really is about a dude who wants to kill himself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I mean, there, <laughs> there's a different, uh, a different moral to that story, I guess. But you know, <laughs> that's my Bummerville takeaway. Um, but we watched It's a Wonderful Life. We watched all of these really cool movies, and then I, of all people, made the suggestion: Hey, why don't we watch the Arnold Schwarzenegger Sinbad movie? 
uh, Jingle All the Way. Now, I thought I'd seen this movie before, and I thought that this was uh, just another movie like Tim Allen's The Santa Claus, because we watched The Santa Claus and The Santa Claus 2, because my daughter likes those, and 3, actually. We watched all of them, believe it or not. And uh, Jingle All the Way, I was like, this has to be kind of a classic, because I've always heard of it. Uh, we watched this movie. God damn, this movie's terrible. <laughs> it's so bad. Oh my God. And this was my suggestion. Because I didn't remember. I thought I'd seen it, but I didn't remember it. It's terrible. And I, I don't mean to just like wet blanket anybody who, <laughs> who likes this movie. But I feel sorry for you. Watch something better. So I, I started thinking about Christmas movies. I started thinking, what makes them work? You know, like what... Why do some movies really last the test of time and, and others don't? And I realize it's really kind of like any other movie, you know, like any genre. Uh, you know, um, often, like a romantic comedy, the difference between a romantic comedy and often a screwball comedy or personality comedy or, or any type of, like, subgenre of comedy, uh, a romantic comedy focuses on the romance. That's the focus of the movie, uh, they don't have to end up together. You know, I consider Annie Hall a romantic comedy. Why? Because the whole movie is about relationships and love and what it means to be in a relationship. Uh, again, that's an extremely generalized version, um, but that's what it's dealing with. You know, so you know when I when I when I think of uh, Christmas movies, I think Christmas to some extent needs to be the focus of this movie, even if there are other things at play. So, It's a Wonderful Life, yes, deals with Christmas. Um, but, uh, it does also deal with a lot of other aspects. It's just a good film. You know, it's just a good film that also can be seen as a Christmas movie. Um, but you know, I think more of movies like, you know, Home Alone. Now the underlying message, other than beating up bandits, the underlying message of Home Alone is it's, you know, all like it's, it's the love of family. Right. It's the it's the um, it's the draw to your family. So even whenever Macaulay Culkin's character uh, doesn't want to uh, Kevin doesn't want to see his family. And when they leave, he's kind of happy about it. At first, he misses them. You know, family is important. Why? Because around the holidays, you know, you come together with your family and the holidays aren't Christmas isn't Christmas without your family. We also see that with his neighbor that he's scared of most of the movie and he has him contact his son. And then at the end, we see him walking with his son and and so on. Uh, you know, it's family. That's the thing. And of course, this is uh, peppered throughout. And in between all those peppers, uh, you know, you see, um, you know, people like Joe Pesci and uh, Daniel Stern get their asses kicked. It's pretty awesome. Um, you know, Elf, for example, you know, Elf is, uh, well, real quick, back to Home Alone, also really good writing by John Hughes. I think it's actually really well written. and It's exactly what it needs to be. You know, is it going to be winning any awards? No, but that's not what it's trying to do. I think it's expertly written for what it's trying to accomplish, and Chris Columbus nails it. So then you have something like Elf, right? Now, uh, let's remember this, and you can watch uh, uh, the holiday movies that made us or whatever on Netflix. It's pretty cool, um, and you'll learn some of this stuff. But, you know, uh, the writers and producers... I mean, this became kind of a passion project for them, and they didn't really have a filmmaker, and they were trying to get different people to do it, and they wouldn't do it, and they finally landed on Jon Favreau over you know a series of events that you can find out if you watch the episode. But my point is, when Jon Favreau came on, he had a vision. And I feel like that's something I miss, that is missing in a lot of the non-classic Christmas movies, is there's no vision. A lot of times it's just a comedy that takes place during Christmas, or it's just a, uh, uh, a romance that takes place during Christmas. 
or it's a horror movie that takes place during Christmas, or whatever you want to say. Uh, but you know, the focus on Christmas and and the themes or the, or the values that we place or project on Christmas uh, tends to be a part of that. You know, so for example, you know, um, something like Jingle All the Way is completely substanceless. Okay, there's nothing there. Um, and and even though it does deal, I, it is a Christmas movie. I I, I do I do concede. But my point is. Um, you know, it's dealing with family in the wrong way. Um, I could go into a whole analysis, but that's not what this episode's on. The point is, movies like Home Alone and Elf, um, even something like Nightmare Before Christmas, which can be a Halloween movie and a Christmas movie, uh, because that deals with certain values um, that that relate to both holidays, really. But Christmas, and you have, uh, I mean, what else can we say? Even Jim Carrey's The Grinch and... Uh, I am totally spacing out right now, but the point is there are a lot of them, and uh, I think some of them are actually really good. I kind of appreciate them differently now that I've been thinking of them as a genre. On Facebook, I had, I had seen a friend of mine, Sam Watermeyer, he, he uh, spoke in during our uh, favorite movies in 1984, and uh, he called in. And uh, my buddy Sam was talking about how uh, kind of pissed off sometimes he gets because he's like, why can't Christmas movies just be movies that we like to watch around Christmas, you know, and, and I forget which movie he named, but it wasn't a traditional Christmas movie. And, um, and I think that's great too. I want that to be clear. If you like just watching a certain movie around Christmas, by all means, please do. Like, I'm not trying to be snobby over here and saying like Christmas movies are exactly X, Y, and Z. Nothing else counts and don't watch them around Christmas. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but I am saying if you look at it as a genre, I do think that there are some through lines and I think the ones that really stand out are the ones that not only, you know, stick to that genre to an extent, um, but also, uh, are well written. Um, think about Home Alone, the way that, uh, the stunt guys got their just asses kicked through that whole movie. I mean, they, they are just dead. How, how do they live through some of the falls and all that stuff? But they did that stuff. That's what they did. I mean, it was like hard falls. This isn't CG shit. I mean, they were hitting the ground. They were setting on fire. They were doing all the things. I mean, it's it's absolute mayhem. And I, I think when you see someone that's like passionate about a project like that, it comes through in the project. And, you know, I think uh, movies like Home Alone, Elf, and so on uh, are great examples of that. I'm rambling at this point, but, uh, you know, like movies like Die Hard, and I love thinking of that as a Christmas movie. I sincerely do. Do I really think it is? Absolutely not. Uh, but I do think it's like an awesome movie to consider as a Christmas movie. I think that's really great. Gremlins is one of those iffy ones. I don't really know if I consider that uh, a Christmas movie or just a movie that takes place during Christmas. Um, if you have any feelings about that, please hit me up uh, or hit us up at Medium Cool Pod on social media, or you can at Austin Glidden on Twitter and tell me why I'm wrong. I don't really care. Um, but uh, yeah, I just had a few thoughts about Christmas movies because we've been watching a lot of them. I'd love to know your favorite Christmas movies because I'd love to watch them if I haven't seen them yet. Um, but all of that said, I want to move forward. I want to be thinking about Jake Bottolieri and our conversation about Faces and Husbands, the two Cassavetes movies that will start off our John Cassavetes marathon. 
We're going to be doing uh, Faces and Husbands today. Then we're going to be doing uh, A Woman Under the Influence and The Killing of a Chinese Bookie next time. And then we're going to be doing uh, Opening Night and Love Streams. So um, next week, we probably won't be doing uh, the marathon. It'll probably probably be spaced out across a few weeks. Um, And um, yeah, so... I hope you enjoy this conversation that I have with my good friend, Jake. I hope you think that he's entertaining because he is, if I have anything to say with it, going to be sticking around. So check it out. I love that my excuse to talk to you is like, hey, will you do a marathon with me? Um, (laughs) And, you know, of course, it's John Cassavetes, which is exciting. And, and, uh, over the course of two or three episodes, we'll after this one we'll have a good idea of, of what we'll do here. But um, yeah, we're gonna be looking at faces, husbands, a woman under the influence, killing of a Chinese bookie, uh, opening night, and finally love streams. Those are gonna be our six that we're gonna cover. And um, what is your history with John Cassavetes? It's funny. I I actually. I did an astonishingly low amount of prep before meeting you on this Zoom call tonight. And yeah. the one thing I did, though, is you should probably remember whatever point you just became aware of him as a director. It's probably like the <laughs> yeah. one thing you should probably figure out, because all the other stuff, I feel very comfortable just giving you kind of my like reflexive response to That's things. all I needed, yeah. But when I was actually thinking about it, I, it's it's actually hazy, but I do know the source. The timing is just a little bit off. I know for a fact that Faces was the first Cassavetes movie I saw all the way through, and that it was in college. It was it was when I was at Ball State, I think somewhere there early. But I'm ninety percent sure that I was watching that Scorsese documentary or the the documentary that he hosted. Um, it's like a journey through American movies. Yeah, yeah. And I remember him talking about Cassavetes and just, oh my God, when Scorsese likes you, like the level of articulate praise he's able to give you. Did he gush? Is just like, he, he, you know, he is like able to talk about films like they are like his children <laughs> that like succeeded <laughs> in life and like accomplished all these things. So I, I remember him talking about Cassavetes and what a pioneer he was, and they just showed a couple clips of faces. It was like a couple of the like John Marley, Gina Rowland stuff, and then a couple of the Lynn Carlin, Seymour Cassell scenes. And it was maybe an aggregate, like two and a half minutes, but like they picked like the best shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I, I just remember seeing it and I'm like, oh, this is because keep in mind timetable, right? I'm I'm at college 2008 to 2012. So at the time, like the mumblecore thing was really big and the like yeah. no budget bunch of people talking about their relationships and shitty Brooklyn apartment movies were like yeah. really, really big. Post-millennial just, John Cassavetes wannabes, yeah. Exactly, but <laughs> I remember it was such a like staggering seeing those clips. I'm like, oh, this is like where all of that came from. It would be like yeah. being really into like second wave punk and like never hearing the Ramones first album or like <laughs> Sex Pistols. Yeah. And then like you you discover it backwards and you're like, oh, everything came from this, you know? Yeah. 
So because of those clips on, on that like journey through American movies, I, I think I checked out faces from the Ball State Library and they had that Criterion DVD box set that I yeah. later then purchased for myself. And faith, so faces, seeing that in the documentary and then seeking out faces, that was my first encounter with John Cassavetti's work. Yeah, that's, man, that's a great story because now that you give that story, I'm like, wait, when did I? Like, that's the one thing yeah. I didn't have prepared, I don't think. <laughs> um, yeah. We're, we're um, good yin and yang when you put I our know, well, levels of prep together. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Husbands, I literally just finished like not long ago. So that's yeah. going to be, we're going to be just discussing that one. Uh, Cause I had never mm-hmm. seen that prior to this, but faces I had. Um, I'm trying to think, I don't think I heard about Cassavetes in school because for any listeners, uh, you and I went to ball state and how old were you when we started hanging out? Were you a junior or how old? Were I was, you? A, what, I was level a junior or a senior. I, I honestly, dude, I want to say that I like, it was a kind of situation where like we had a couple mutual friends and I like knew of you, you know, but I don't think we started hanging out till senior year. Cause we both had all those West Garen classes together. Yeah. Correct um, me if I'm wrong. So I would have been 21, I think. Oh, well, uh, senior year, you have two semesters. Cause I was like, I know for a fact there were like two semesters at least, but that would make sense yeah. maybe. So anyways, uh, how, how I remember meeting you just to get sentimental, I guess, is uh, I would always sit in the second row all the way to the left. And then you yeah. and Mindy, which is an, another friend of ours, <laughs> would sit in the second last to the left and the third last to the left. So I would always sit there and then you guys would come in and sit next to me. And mm-hmm. in my head, I was probably just like, God damn it, just like make some space. But <laughs> but, but you and I were uh, always like every time Gehring would be like, so, you know, we're talking about this genre today. We're talking about this, whatever, like. Has anybody seen this? And you, you, your hand and my hand were always the ones that went up and occasionally right. peppered throughout the class. There might be another hand or two, um, yeah. but we were always the ones. And I remember I came into class one day and you instigated the conversation where you were just like, hey, man, it's kind of weird that like <laughs> we aren't talking, but we sit next <laughs> to each other every class and we like yeah. know all the same shit. I'm Jake. Oh, right. Man. And we. It was just like a super so random funny. thing. I didn't know you at all. I, I remember everything but me being the instigator, which is very funny. I don't know what that says about me, that that's the part I don't remember. But <laughs> I, I think well, it's, I it's was... one of those things where you, you have classes where you're, it's obvious that there's some people that are like really into it compared to others. And that's not me trying to be elitist. It's just the truth. And I just remember like at a certain point, it's like, you you just you become aware of people that you're like we should be talking yeah like this is clearly an obvious you know we have a huge chunk of stuff in common so. absolutely and I was and yeah. you know this but for listeners I was married in my first marriage and I had a kid and I was more I was what's the word I'm looking for here you, I you related were on the per- well I related yeah. to professors more than I did students right so I was I was going to seeking- say you were. You were on the periphery of what you might call the college experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't give a fuck about that. <laughs> like yeah, I was yeah, just yeah. like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, just let me talk to people that are way smarter than me, and then let me go yeah. on my way, and I'm gonna go watch movies at home all night. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, anyways, like, uh, you were always a writer, 
Mm-hmm. And um, I was always more of a director in my brain. So I always liked getting your perspectives. I'm excited to talk about Cassavetes in that way as well, because um, though his movies feel very uh, kind of impulsive and very, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like spur of the moment and spontaneous. Spontaneous and, is the word. I, yeah, yeah. They seem kind of, you know, impromptu and improvised and all that stuff. Um, but his, his movies were scripted. Granted, he of yeah. course would let actors, you know, kind of do their right. thing and feel the moment. But, uh, he, he's very fascinating, um, and uh, I want to start with Faces, because we're going to kind of go chronologically through some of these, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to go ahead and jump sure. into it now here. Um, so, a, a few fun things. Uh, Faces came out in 1968, and um, a- around this time, uh, John Cassavetes was not a, a, a big filmmaker. He's mostly known for his acting abilities. He had mm-hmm. done some writing um, but not necessarily known for it. His first film came out in 1959. It was the uh, Faces is his second. So uh, he made an independent film in the 50s, which is the production code era. Granted, the tail end, but during the code, which is crazy to me. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then, uh, like, that's insane. But then he makes, uh, you know, the code's two years officially gone at this point when Faces comes out, 1968. And, uh, you know, Cassavetes is kind of known as the grandfather of independent cinema because during a time of pure studio, he was, you know, doing acting jobs and writing gigs and working at shitty places to make some money and borrowing cameras from Haxel Wexler, (laughs) Haskell Wexler and shit. So anyways, um, you know, I was listening to some interviews today just while I was doing other things, you know, um, and uh, there were two things that stood out to me. One thing that he said was, I don't even think of myself as a director. As a matter of fact, I think I'm probably one of the worst directors around. But I have an interest in my fellow man. And then in a separate interview years later, because that was really early, that was like right when Shadow our faces had just come out and they were talking yeah. about shadows and, and different things. But in this one it was much later. It looked he looked about as old as he would be in like opening night or something. So late seventies. Yeah, yeah. And he said, uh I have a one-track mind. All I'm interested in is love. And I find those two... It's a coincidence that that the only two interviews I listened to prior to this, those were among the first lines that I heard. Um, And I think they go together really well. Um, And I'm going to come back to that. We're going to put a pin in that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it took him three years to complete Faces. Um, when the film, uh, the film was shot on high contrast 16 millimeter black and white film stock, uh, upon its release, uh, people, critics, it, you know, it was kind of panned by some of the bigger critics. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it four out of four stars and wrote that the film tenderly, honestly, and uncompromisingly examines the way we really live. But conversely, Pauline Kale, however, uh, was negative on the film, criticizing the badly performed acting and crudely conceived scenes. And in my yeah. notes next to it, I just put, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because um, I, I'll put a pin. I'm not done yet. Yeah. I, I want to, cause I want to talk about the performances too. That's something we really got to sure. tackle. So we got, we like on the docket here, like performances. I want to talk about the writing, um, mm-hmm. but so in 2011 faces was selected for preservation in the United States national film registry by the library of Congress as being oh, yeah. culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. The registry called the film an example of cinematic excess. 
whose extended confrontations revealed emotional uh, emotions and relations of power between men and women that rarely emerge in more conventionally structured films. And according to a BFI article titled uh, John plus Gina Dynamite on Screen and Off, uh, using his salary uh, from the short-lived day job that he had at Screen Gyms, which was like a company... Uh, well, it doesn't matter. Anyways, um, but uh, he was uh, basically working there, coming up with new TV ideas, but none of them got commissioned. Um, and then also from the fee that he got from an unproduced script that he wrote for Don Siegel, Cassavetes moved ahead uh, with the unheard of at the time idea of an entirely self-financed production. Um, and he called in favors uh, at every opportunity from uh, the use of friends and family's homes for locations uh, to the use of Haskell Wexler's camera. Haskell, uh, oh, yeah. Haskell Wexler is actually the guy who directed the film that is the namesake of this podcast, which is Medium Cool, a movie right. podcast. So uh, Medium Cool, directed by Haskell Wexler. And um, anyways, the most interesting thing that I found, well, not most interesting, but the one that I didn't know, I should say, is Steven Spielberg worked as an unpaid runner. I remember hearing that, yeah, which is hilarious. He was getting people coffee, I guess. Yeah, he's getting uh, getting Seymour Cassell his uh, his bagel, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and uh, and and you know, getting pills for actors. No, uh, anyways. So, um, faces, man. Like, uh, that's just some like random bullshit that I was looking up. Um, but it kind of like paints the picture. You know, you had yeah. people like Ebert who were super into it. Pauline Kale, not so much. Um, but you know, by, by, uh, the 2010s, it becomes, uh, an official national film registry movie that For is, sure. uh, it put in there BFI writing stuff about how cool Cassavetes is. You touched on Mumblecore, which I wanted to talk about uh, and we'll get yeah. to, I mean, this dude influenced people like Scorsese, Woody Allen, uh, Robert Altman. I mean, all these like heavy hitters that came just after this film. Um, and, uh, Let's get into it, man. I'm going to start with this question. What about Faces stands out to you the most? Like, when you watch it, what is the yeah. aspect? Performances, story, well, whatever whatever story you would <laughs> whatever call Whatever you want to yeah. call it. Yeah. yeah, whatever you want to call it. You know, um, I almost said music. It's so hard to talk about Cassavetes because it's all performance. <laughs> right, right, right. But I mean, like, what stands out to you? What themes? Like, what is it about Cassavetes' Faces that gets you? If you even yeah, like it, I, I think yeah. No, I I love the film. It's it's a it's such a close second to my favorite Cassavetes film, which we'll get to eventually. But if it's not that other one, it's Faces. And the thing that stands out to me, man, is just the subtlety of human behavior that a movie at the time portrayed. I think especially because, because again, released in 68, it took him a couple of years though. And when you're watching it, you could kind of tell that even though it was released in 68, there's kind of a, like a 66 vibe in the movie. You know what I mean? It feels more like mid sixties than it does easy rider. You know what I'm yeah. saying? But and, real quick, with, I don't, yeah. Well, with what you're saying, that's an important distinction. Cause in, some people listening might see that as like a trivial and pretentious like statement of like, well, it seems 66, right. not 68. No, no, no. The production code was there until 66. Yeah. Movies were made differently 
prior yeah. to 1966. So, I mean, just to clarify for any listeners that wouldn't know, like that's sure. actually an important distinction, those two years, but I get what you yeah. mean. I agree. And I, I think because of that, there's, there's kind of this surreal thing that happens when you're watching it because it, it wears the armor of, especially when you're watching it now, it wears the armor of like a quote unquote old film, you know, grainy 16 millimeter, uh, dated in terms of production design and Harry, you could tell you were in the sixties, but in terms of what the characters are doing and what the characters are saying, it feels like nothing else that was made at the time, you know? And, you know, I could sort of get into details just, just not to segue, just one, as an example, there's a conversation that John Marley has with Lynn Carlin at the dinner table where they're, they're basically talking about a friend of theirs that like goes down on girls (laughs) And just like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. just to just to see that in sort of the armor of this thing that our brains will associate with with something, you know, from another director might be considered stale or old or, you know, just dated. It's it's like a surprising amount of like nuanced cultural behavior happening in a movie, sort of, you know. It's sort of it was sort of the harbinger of a lot of things that would later happen in the 70s. You know, I think you can definitely make the argument that maybe it wasn't Faces alone, but Faces is one of a couple films that sort of paved the way to have, you know, the stuff in in Clute that kind of pushed the envelope, even the stuff in like Last Detail that pushed the envelope just in terms of dialogue, in terms of language. Um, That stuff is there. But I, I guess to go full circle and just answer your question in a, in a much less verbose way. Um, the subtlety of human behavior that it portrays, I think is unlike anything else that, that came out before it in the sixties, you know, I think, it, and, I think you'd be hard pressed to find something that's come out now. And, I, and yeah. there are movies there. are Those sure. exist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a movie that comes to mind would be, uh, and I don't think it's as well, I don't know. It's really personal to me, but something like, um, uh, Derek Chianfrance's uh, uh, Blue Valentine, right? Sure. Like that yeah, feels yeah, I very. I think that's a good comparison. Yeah, yeah, that that feels like a very kind of modern day. Let's do this kind of Cassavetes-ish type thing. I mean, it's definitely closer than most things that come out today, you know. Um, but they have that. It's that impact of uh, um, of it's seemingly mundane behavior that right. in its uh, in its entirety is something actually far more complex and meaningful. And so I think one of the most frustrating things that I hear that I'm sure you've heard is people watching a Cassavetes movie and going almost like the Seinfeld line, like, it's a movie about nothing. Like, yeah, it's why am I watching this? If I want to see people like this, I'll just look at my own life or what, you know, like so, whatever. Yeah, it's it's that's really interesting to me, too, because I think rewatching Faces, just to... Like, it's so easy to be, like, the film nerd that's like, oh, no one appreciates stuff the way they should. Yeah. But to to be fair, this is one of the reasons why I like Cassavetes so much. It had been a long time since I had rewatched Faces. I'd say five-plus years. And in the first maybe ten minutes of rewatching it, I'm I'm seeing it for the third time when I rewatched it for this podcast. I watched it with my girlfriend who hadn't seen it before. And I sort of had that moment five or 10 minutes in where I'm like, wait, is it just this? I <laughs> yeah, can't, dude. 
You know what I mean? Yes. So, so as, as, as much as I think people that sort of write it off for being just behavior are, are sort of missing out. I do get where they're coming from. The, the turning point for me, at least in faces, it's a little bit of a different conversation when we talk about husbands, but I think he knows exactly what he's doing. And much like uh, uh, Jean-France in, in um, uh, Blue Valentine, it's, it's a plotting that's, that's so behavior, behaviorally and emotionally dependent that we're sort of waiting for, you know, guy gets a mission, guy has to make a choice, <laughs> but that's happening. It's just happening mid conversation. So about five to 10 minutes in the faces, you're sort of like, wait, is this just like the whole movie is like these guys like talking to this, like, you know, like I, you know, we won't call her a prostitute, but you know, talking to this like hustler girl, do you know, like, is this the whole movie? And then there's that moment where they're all laughing and Fred Draper says, by the way, how much do you charge? And everything stops Yeah. and everything tilts. And that's the moment that I think it sort of crystallizes what he's trying to do. Sure. It's, it's not that he just turns a camera on and lets his actor friends have improv fun. It's he is specifically building this sort of torrent of human emotions that we get caught up in the way we would if we went to a party or something. And he knows where to place those interactions where the whole mood shifts, you know, yeah. in, in a crime movie, it's those are the heist scenes in, in a sci fi movie. Those are, you know, the big showcase scenes. It's the same thing. It's just happening in this context of people in rooms revealing too much, going a little bit too far, offending each other, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So to just to comment on those people, I get why someone would be put off by that. But I think if you look at those moments where the whole energy of a scene shifts, that those scenes sort of write the story of what he's trying to do. Yeah. To, to talk in a language that you and I will be very familiar with. It's kind of a way mm -hmm. we talk. I see it as... Um, in a similar way that I see uh, certain video games, right? Like you have Call of Duty, which is all like just like instinct and I'm one track mind. Yeah. This is the thing I'm doing. I'm not saying it's easy. Everyone could probably beat me like I suck at those games. Sure. I see skill sure. in them. I get it. But it's a different experience than, say, something like a Telltale game where yeah. people call those like interactive movies, basically, which I very strongly disagree with personally. Because sure. of this, Call of Duty is a game. I'm using my hands right now. He can see me, but it's a, he, it's a he game. He's using his hands. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's a game <laughs> where it's all this, right? It, you're not you mm -hmm. don't have to use your brain. You can sit and just like call people cocksuckers and shit. And well, you're and using you your brain, but it's 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 in way. a mathematical way. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yes. So it's a, mm -hmm. you're using it in a different way. Whereas yeah. whenever you play something like a Telltale game where you're making a lot of decisions, you're trying to find stuff, but it's all actually pretty easy. The hardest part, the challenge is if you take it seriously and if you kind of role play these characters, it makes it significantly more difficult to make certain decisions, especially when it has to be impulsive because those decisions are timed, right? Timed, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So to get back to movies here. Um, you know, you have your man gets a mission and goes off, blah, 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 right. the thing you described, right? And that's your call of duty, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. That can be fantastic. You and I love sure. 
plenty of movies like that, right? But then the other side of that is the Telltale movie. It's the movie that works up here in your brain. It's the thing mm-hmm. that you have to think beyond because if you're just watching it, you will not get it. But it's not like an art film in like a Bergman way. Like that's a right, different right. category. It's sort of this a different is, thing entirely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like when I watch the, and I totally agree, I get why people feel that way. I think I get more butthurt about it when it's like people who are studying film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or like, you know, like, because we encountered a lot of people at Ball State too who hadn't seen anything and they're trying sure, to like sure. make movies and that's very frustrating mm-hmm. to me. Um, and so like, uh, yeah, so like using your brain. So so you, you mentioned the scene that you did. For me, another kind of to add to it um, is like every kind of character or duo of characters is like different pairs that kind of go off. Mm-hmm. Every single pair has that one moment, and I think what you said might be one of them, has that one moment that shifts it from mundane interaction yeah. to meaning. Right. So take, for example, and um, I don't really mind um, kind of, quote unquote, spoiling. You cannot spoil these movies, but um, but like uh, (laughs) but I am going to speak a little vaguely because you'll get it. And anybody who wants to see it after this, uh, if they haven't yet, can do so. But um, Lynn Carlin's Maria and uh, Seymour Cassell's Chet, um, you know, uh, Maria goes out on her husband, finds Chet. They make love, and then the next day he finds her comatose because she took too many pills and tried to kill herself. And there's right. this long series of scenes where he's trying to keep her awake, and he's trying to make sure she doesn't fucking die. And he's yeah. slapping her, but you can tell on his face he doesn't want to. Right, that right. scene, I mean, of course, I mean that's an easy scene to kind of pick out as like a powerful scene, of course, right? Yeah. But those are like up, leading up to him waking up. Is you're just like. Fuck, this sucks. Like, not not the movie, but I mean, like, man, she's so sad, and like her marriage right. sucks. Like, this is a bummer. And then, it, mm-hmm. not only does it just like <laughs> just tailspin into even yeah. more of a bummer in the next scene, but the meaning, like, what does it mean that she tried to kill herself? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, there's it. Yeah. It just it just completely comes around. Uh, to being something so much more than people in a room. And I, I love that you put it that way. Like, it does seem it's just a movie about people in a room, most of which are drunk, you know, <laughs> but yeah. like in every Cassavetes movie. But, um, but yeah, man, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a pretty powerful thing. I, um, it seems like he has, he, whatever that is, a bunch of people in a room drunk, whatever language that is he has such a fluency and a command of that language. The, the thing that we noticed was that, again, you're watching a movie that was released in 68, that was shot in 66. So terminology is different, slang is different, all that stuff is different, but there is an energy that exists in parties now. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about when, when Lynn is still with her other sort of like aging housewife friends with Seymour Cassell, there's this weird dynamic where like someone will say something that will alienate everyone else. And there will be like this boiling tension until it kind of dissolves and then it shifts to someone else. I think in a lot of ways you can look at the way that he constructs these, these scenes, the way he constructs these interactions 
is sort of a prelude to, to a lot of stuff we would see in film that would later become iconic in their own way. Yeah. The, the one thing that I was thinking of when, especially when I was watching the second half of this film is um, that great scene in Boogie Nights where they're, they're at the drug dealer's house and there's like a one minute take of Marky Mark and it's like the ultimate, it's time to leave the party kind of scene, yeah. right? And for the longest time I had pointed to that shot in that scene in that movie, Boogie Nights, as being like, oh, that's the best, that's the best like articulation of when you wanna leave the party. And, but I don't know, man, I think Faces has so many moments that actually I think beat it to the punch rewatching it this time. It, it, it's so, just just the the script and the performances have have such i i keep going back to the word fluency and and it's kind of uh, it's kind of darkly sad given that cassavetes would eventually pass from cirrhosis of the liver but i don't know if there's a better kind of punctuation mark to my point than like he is a dude that understood drinking in rooms with people you know yeah and in many cases, drinking on the set while they're filming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, a lot of those are, scenes. Are there these, a lot of stories I haven't I haven't delved? Uh, no, I don't know a lot of stories, but I'm, oh, okay. I, if I if, I, if my memory is uh, serving me correctly here, I believe that several scenes where they're out drinking, they're really drinking, which would not yeah. surprise me knowing his uh, his style. But touching right. on kind of the the kind of truths and the deepness, like the depth rather. Uh, that you're talking about going back to Cassavetti's quote about love. If you think mm -hmm. about faces, um, like it is interesting. If you really wanted to break it down, how much love actually motivates so much of the conflict or the yeah. absence of love. Right. Right. So that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, so someone might have like an absence of love, maybe a Gina Rollins or, or what was some character like that. But then you have, you know, um, Sorry, I forget people's names, so I have to have like IMDb pulled up at all times. But yeah, no worries. You have Lynn Carlin's character who is doing a lot of these things because she's struggling with the love or lack thereof that she and her husband share, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I love that his quote not only kind of sums up what a lot of his movies are about, but also it's like subtextual. Almost, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? For sure. Um, and I don't know, man. I I just I. I love that so much. You, you talked about uh, it kind of uh, foreshadowing movies that would later become classics, kind of like doing those things. Um, I don't know. Like, he is so... I'm, I can't even put my thoughts into words right now. He is so... Um, can you think of like an auteur that has a more consistent and distinct style <laughs> than Cassavetes. Like there are other people it's, like it's Woody tough, Allen, man. like Woody yeah. Allen or something. You can like tell what that is, but he also does movies like match point or like, you know, like he'll do these other random movies that are not that thing. Um, but Cassavetes is like, you know how like Wes Anderson from the beginning of his career up until like at least grand Budapest or Isle of dogs. It's like, he gets more and more concentrated Wes Anderson. Yeah. Like it becomes gets, more. It's like, yeah. Yeah. It's like. Uh, it, it, un, uncut meth crystal of Wes Anderson, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's just pure, pure Coke. Like the whole time you go. Yeah. You know? And um, yeah, but Cassavetes, he just starts there, <laughs> you know, and he's just 
that the whole time. Like, yeah, I, I think one, one observation I had about just stylistic stuff as I was rewatching, and it's interesting you brought up Wes Anderson, because when we talk about husbands, I actually have a weird parallel to bring up there, awesome. but um, yeah, I was trying to think of, of a film, another film who, who stylistically the cinematography feels perfect, but that you wouldn't be able to screenshot and say, look how good this cinematography is. Oh yeah. yeah because yeah, yeah. I think I, I, you know, there's, there's obvious just technological reasons why what I'm about to say is true. But on, on Instagram, I'm a nerd and I follow a lot of like, you know, cinema, you know, reposting screenshot cinematography, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and, and one thing that I've kind of realized after a while is a lot of what people talk about as being good cinematography is actually just good framing, which is yeah. still awesome. But when you think about the movies that sort of often get screen grabbed and then reposted, there's no movement, right? It's, it's a picture and maybe it's like an amazingly well-composed, well-lit, well-colored picture. But I would be hard pressed to be able to screenshot or screen grab something from faces and have it, you know, get a hundred or more likes on one of these <laughs> cinematography circle jerk Instagrams. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It, as you're watching the film, it feels like the energy and the movement perfectly matches the behavior we're seeing on screen. So I, I think maybe this is only tangentially related to what you brought up, but it's an observation I had while watching the film that the cinematography feels perfect for what the movie is, but it would be impossible to communicate that to someone via, you know, Instagram cinegrid stills. Absolutely, you know? yeah. It's honestly, man, like it's it's a it's a great example of how cinematography um, has meaning more so than is simply visual, right? Mm -hmm. Um so I think faces now I love I love messy looking movies and you know 16 millimeter like gritty, grimy. For sure. I love all that, right? But the movie is by probably general standards is really ugly. It's an ugly <laughs> like, film. It's not, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's it's not it doesn't look impressive, right? Mm -hmm. But what you just said is the key. And I think this is a through line that we will talk about through all of these films. But it's 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 the marriage of the camera and the performance, which we can start absolutely. to talk about the performance here. But all of his movies uh that I've seen and and I I'll out myself and just say I haven't seen Opening Night. That's uh, Husbands and Opening Night were the only two uh in our in yeah. our marathon that I hadn't I haven't seen. Um, so I've seen Husbands now, so opening that I got to watch. But because I've had that goddamn five films box set and I, for like <laughs> fucking yeah. ten years, or however long I've you had it, and I haven't use. watched it yet, so I feel stupid. I always just forget that it's here because, as you can see behind, there's just too many of them. I'm almost like your fucking dad. By the way, yeah. listeners, his dad has a whole man cave. It's a fucking like huge room that is just wall to wall Blu-rays, and then all of his DVDs are upstairs. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> so it's like, all the standard it doesn't, stuff. It doesn't. It's, it's end pretty there. impressive. I just I, I saw it again around Halloween. It's you know he's definitely added to the uh, to the cave. Dude, I, I miss being able to just go there and see it. But yeah, um, I gotta have your dad on here sometime. Anyways, um, for sure. Uh, what was I saying here? Um, oh, but so uh, the through line I see through his movies, and I noticed this, uh, we'll talk about this more with husbands, I'm sure, but um, in Faces, like when you, if you've only seen that, he shoots such uh, intimate and vulnerable 
shots of faces oh, that it almost yeah. it almost seems like because that was the first film I saw of his as well, and it almost feels like oh okay that's why it's called this right, and then you watch every movie after that and it's yeah. like faces like everywhere and you're like oh shit like he's doing something and then when i watched faces because i've uh, only seen i don't know how many times i've seen faces but early on i saw it twice pretty close together within about a six yeah. month period or whatever and uh i remember this by the second time i'd already seen other movies of his and i was able to kind of identify what you just said that's what makes the cinematography perfect it's not that it's like seamless because it's definitely not. It's not that right. it looks pretty because it doesn't. Which I think again, as there's like hairs of- in the gate too. <laughs> like there's whole reels that, and like, I just I can see it from his perspective. It's like if if he got some really good shit, like why try to recreate it? Who cares? You know. Well, yeah, and and whenever you're using people's houses and you're using mm-hmm. someone else's camera, and you know what I mean, like. When you're just yeah. borrowing shit and just trying to do something that maybe to your in your mind has never been done, like just to just make a movie because you want to and you have friends who will do it, um, I'm totally with you. Uh, but dude, the cinematography is fucking on point, and there are still shots. Literally, I'm thinking of them right now. They're almost like still frames because I don't mm-hmm. see them in movement. I'll see like you could never recreate it with print screen on your fucking PC or right. whatever. You know, right, like right, you right. said, you can't get a good thing, but like the close up of Gina Rollins um when she is with it's that scene you talked about earlier right before he where they're dancing and it just seems like they're just goofing off up until that mm-hmm. moment where he asks how much uh she charges or whatever um like there is a shot and I can't tell you where I'll, I'll text you the image even or something because sure. <laughs> I'm sure it's like somewhere easy to find but there's just like a point where like her hair's kind of in her face it might even be the cover of uh, the box set. I don't even remember, yeah. but um, I can just visualize. It's one of those movies to me. It's like it's not subliminal, but like there are these specific images that stand out, which says sort something. Sort of burned to me. in your brain, yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah. It says something to me. You know, I also like I picture that scene almost like a GIF, like just a reoccurring GIF oh, of yeah, where yeah, Vincent yeah, Cassell sure. is like making Lynn puke. Oh, you know what I mean, like, yeah. like, like holding her, her like a like a CPR dummy. Yes, exactly. And he just keeps sticking his fingers down her throat, and then she pukes, and then comes back up, and he just keeps doing it for a minute yeah. to like get her to get all the shit out of her system. And that is uh, like those are such powerful scenes. And if like about with movies, man, I and you probably know this about me, but I just love human beings. I don't mm-hmm. really give a fuck if anything's happening. I don't care if I like the characters. Like yeah. I, I have, I have a few little things when we get to husbands that will, you know, uh, do that. I'll foreshadow it a bit here by saying, like, anytime John Cassavetes is in one of his movies, he's usually an asshole. Okay, sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, in some way, he's usually an asshole. But it's like I don't like his character, but for some reason, I care about him. Right, right. I, I think I can actually respond to that in a way that also comments on something you said was most interesting about Cassavetes. And that's the fact that he said all of his movies are about love. Uh, I believe him when he says that. And I believe that that's the way he looks at it. I think if we want to get analytical and we want to sort of dissect his motives and stuff as an actor turned director, I think you can look at all of his movies. Faces is like the best example of this. Husbands is really good too for this. Um, 
he's obsessed with behavior. And I think that's why you, as someone that says, I just want to see behavior, I think that's why you respond to it where maybe someone else can't get past the observational qualities yeah. that these movies have. And I think as a director that would, I'm generalizing, but I think it's fair to say that actors that become directors usually have a very unique relationship to how they communicate with their actors. And, and maybe there's a privilege to that, that I think in Cassavetti's case amounted to a level of freedom and a level of faith in him that created these vulnerable moments, that created these moments of such incredible subtlety that we're talking about being moved by it, even though it happened decades before we were born. Yeah. I mean, there's. I think he is obsessed with behavior. That's what it boils down to, to me. Oh, absolutely, and and I think he's. I think because of that, it's timeless. Uh, you might, like you said, you might notice the hairstyles or the the clothes or or the decor that might age or Seymour Cassell's lingo. It's happening, babe. <laughs> you know, we're just dig it, man. We're just we're just doing our thing, baby. And no one could do it better. That dude right. fucking rules. But like, yeah. Um, but yeah, dude, behavior. That is like that. That's a really great way to put it. And uh, one thing that I love about his or loved about his directing style, I guess, um, that I learned was when he is something that Ben Gazzaro talked about in, in an interview where basically it's like, yeah, there's a script, but he doesn't say like stand here and say this thing because um, right. because Ben Gazzaro was saying like, yeah, Peter Falk didn't know what he wanted. Like he couldn't figure out what Cassavetes wanted because he's just like, what, what like he just said like X, Y, Z to me. What, what, what is this? And Ben's like, Oh, he wants, he clearly wants you. He said something about like, you're hungry. He's like, Oh, well he wants yeah. you over at the table where you would eat. You know what I mean? And, and he's like, well then why doesn't he just say I go there? Like, it's like, <laughs> it's like a movie, right? Like how they talk, but like, and Ben Gazzara was basically talking about how instead of telling you what to do, he gives your character the motivation yeah. to get there. And I think that is where kind of natural behavior comes in then, right? Like, because mm-hmm. he's not saying, all right, whenever, whenever, you know, Gina Rollins says this to you, Vince, or, um, uh, uh, I don't know, name a person, um, Gina, uh, John Marley, you know, whenever, mm-hmm. uh, when Gina says this to you, I want you to get really mad at her. Right, well, no, right. it would be Gene, like Gina, I want you to say this to him. And then it's like, all right, John, I want you to react accordingly. Like, just let it play out. Right. Right. I um, think he understood as an actor that when you breadcrumb trail people, they they don't feel as confined, and it's easier for them to get there on their own with their own interpretation. You yeah. Know? And it's the old like you're never supposed to tell an actor here say it like this, you know, like really amateurish directing advice that like always gets passed around amongst. The, you know, the circles I run in, you know, the very amateur circles I run in, <laughs> are, you, you give them an action, right? So instead of me saying to you, Austin, say it like this, rah, I say, scare her, you know? Yeah. And I hope that just the way that you follow that breadcrumb trail, we're going to arrive at the same, you're going to arrive at the cabin that I know that you're going to arrive at your way. Yeah. Know? Yep, yep. I uh yeah, and he, uh something else Ben Gazar said. Let's see if I can remember it before I get there cuz now I'm stalling. Um uh yeah, <laughs> Thank but God he, for he, edits. he well he did <laughs> No, I leave all my flaws in, dude. dude oh, okay. You should, oh man, I I'll tell you about it when we're How not recording. How masochistic. 
<laughs> oh yeah, it's great. Yeah, I mean, my voice did a weird thing like two episodes ago at the very end when I was doing an outro. I started laughing so hard that I couldn't stop, and eventually <laughs> I just said, "Okay, bye." And yeah. I just left it in because it made me wow. laugh so much listening to it. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't really give a shit. I always like back away and burp, and then I tell people that I burped. I don't really know why, yeah. but you know, it's uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm going the Cassavetti's route. I just want vulnerability, yeah. and no, anyways. Um, so I want to get to this real quick and then we're going to move on to, to husbands here. I want to talk about the performances mm-hmm. cause that's kind of what we're kind of skirting around with all of this, uh, with Cassavetes essentially, you know, helping people get there, right? Like the breadcrumbs, as you said, um, <laughs> uh, I don't even know how to start this man performances. Yeah, Give me your um, thoughts. They're, they're, they're great performances, I think. I, I think the fact that a lot of the characters we're following are... Besides Gina Rollins, who I, I think her character is, is probably, as an archetype, the most familiar archetype of all the people we're dealing with. So even though she does her own thing and it's nuanced, once we kind of get what her deal is, I feel like uh, it's less about heavy lifting for her and more just about nuanced reaction. But... You know, it's rare that a romantic movie sort of centers around, in the case of John Marley, someone that's that old. I think he was, what, like 60 when they made this movie? Had to be. I mean, he was he was getting up there. The, the fact that he is, I say this with an asterisk, a sympathetic romantic lead in a lot of ways. Same with Lynn, his wife, which is an interesting turnabout the movie does, you know, that that less so now, but at the time in 68, she wouldn't be considered necessarily like some swinging bachelorette. I mean, look at who they casted as her friends. It's it's very clear, I think, that her and her circle are sort of like the married class, the sort of, I don't want to say over the hill, but the the class of people that, that aren't springing with life anymore. But that's these so aren't, crucial. These aren't the people that are dating. This is during a time where you get to be maybe 30 and you're like, well, I've lost my chance. Right. Right. I get what you mean. Right. I mean, even there's even a line that Gina Rollins has where she says she's 28 and then like corrects herself and says 23. Like clearly she's actually 28 and didn't like that. She admitted that. Yeah. That's younger than me. And I feel <laughs> yeah. like a child. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the fact that even 28 is something you wouldn't want to let people know about. But um, I, I, I think, Obviously, there's this behavior thing that we keep circling around and talking about and, and how raw the characters are. But I think a big part of what makes the performances great is a lot of the main characters are coming from this place of sort of atypical people to follow, you know? And I, I think one of the things that, again, makes the ending of the movie bittersweet, and I, I don't want to, this is abstract, so I don't think it'll spoil specifics per se, but... I think you could make the argument, even though we're following a lot of people, that essentially this movie's about John Marley and Lynn Carlin. And the fact that their thing is doomed to fail. But in a weird way, that's less sad because it's very clear that they both they're both done and they're both ready to seek out the the youth of life that they both need to sort of recapture in their own way apart. Yeah. And I think when you, when you look at the film, not only as a bunch of actor friends of Cassavetti getting to have free reign 
on camera. But when you think about it, it's like Marley has to be like a sympathetic romantic lead at 60. Lynn Carlin has to do a lot of very nuanced stuff. Correct me if I'm wrong, that was her first like film performance or her first feature film performance. I think um, I know it's early. I'm going to double check it while we're, while we're talking here, but uh, please do. I, uh, whatever the scenario is, she was not a seasoned veteran. No, you're right. No, and that was her first. I, I thought, I thought she had done some, a few things prior, but uh, no, that was her first one. So I think when you look at the movie being essentially like shouldered on the performances of John Marley and, Lynn Carlin and the fact that they're both being asked to do something that's a little more nuanced than just be a sympathetic romantic lead. I, I think it's very obvious that what you're seeing is very high caliber performing. That kind of know? blows my mind now that I've yeah. confirmed that because like I kind of blame some, some of the uh, performance stuff, which I love these aspects, but I kind of blame it on that like 66 era uh, like, cause it's so progressive for that time. But right. it only is so far ahead of its time, right? Like, we can kind of still see a difference between a movie today and then. Um, I love it. But Lynn Carlin, like, when she's cracking up at John Marley whenever he's talking about the cunnilingus and the whole thing, right? Like, yeah, the, yeah. the whole thing. Um, and she's just cracking up. That, I would have never guessed that was her first performance. You know, they were... Uh, it feels real. It feels like... A real conversation, you know, one hundred percent. And and Cassavetti's in in uh, one of the interviews about faces was talking about how when he was doing Shadows, um, I'm pretty sure it was Shadows. It might have been this one. Now I can't remember which movie. It doesn't matter though. He had a bunch of friends who were actors that were out of work, like they just weren't getting work. So he wanted to make an independent film, basically, and he was going to do a, an acting workshop, and he wanted all of his friends to come up to this like warehouse, basically that he had for like a year or something. And he was going to have them come out and they were all going to basically do what the group did for faces where they're all going to get together. They're going to workshop these ideas. They're going to create something. And then, you know, with his acting gigs and, and all the stuff he has on the side, he's going to finance these movies and he's going to use his friends to give them work so that they can get more work. Like he's going to put yeah. them in an impressive yeah. position uh, like Tarantino with fucking John Travolta or something, you know, like I'm going to yeah, put you in yeah. here cause I like you and then you're going to take off. Um, and, uh, he said none of his friends showed up, right? <laughs> like, like <laughs> none of them did. So he ended up putting a, a, an, uh, like a, what do you call it? Like an ad in the New York times or whatever for like people who want to learn acting. Like he's going to basically mm -hmm. start like a little acting troupe or whatever. And he said it was just like jam, like people coming from everywhere trying to like learn from this guy. You know what I mean? And uh, I'm pretty sure that a lot of those people, I know that it, this was before Shadows because he casted people from the no names that he found in Shadows. I know that. But I wouldn't be surprised if that continued through right, to right. faces with someone like a Lynn Carlin or like any of these other kind of random people, because we also have to remember, to my knowledge, um, you know, people like Seymour Cassell and stuff aren't huge names. <laughs> Even Peter Falk at that time wasn't like right. a huge name. I mean, you know, I think most of his what most of his popularity came from Columbo, probably like later. You well, know? <laughs> I, yeah, Cassavetes in a lot of ways is the king of casting people. That if you're part of our generation and you had to like watch all this stuff like after the fact, he's the king of casting people. We're like. You know, when I was 
when I was showing faces to my girlfriend and I pointed to Seymour Cassell and I'm like, do you recognize him? He's Max's dad in Rushmore. Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> absolutely. He's the king of casting people that like would later then become like renowned character actors and giving them, you know, if not their first role, maybe their first role in something that actually had a little bit more substance to it. Gee, how'd you like to be one of Cass and Betty's friends? And you like, didn't you like blew him off. And then he like, <laughs> <laughs> directs Lynn Carlin in her first performance to like an Oscar nominated role. Like, Dude, it's crazy. Yeah, it's so crazy. And just to kind of wrap up the acting, like the performances and faces as a whole here, um, it's it's very clear that you and I both adore this movie. I, I absolutely yeah. love faces. Um, I am 100% with you. I think there's another movie that we'll get to. I don't think it's the same one, though. I don't know really? what yours is, but <laughs> yeah, we'll, um, we'll wait. Yeah, but I have a feeling this they might be on be the same show. If 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 my uh, calculations are correct, well, but you know what I like, Austin. You know what I, I do. Respond to. I do, and I think I know what yours is. But I think I think whenever you find out what mine is, you will not be surprised either. So, um, sure. but I love the one I think is yours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, but this is an easy second, if not right there at the top. Yeah. Um, and I'll say this Absolutely. now because I plan for us to do a, a top 10 favorite films of all time once we kind of become a bit more seasoned, you know, maybe maybe at the one year mark or something. If 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 I keep this up, I'll have some people on and we'll do uh, a list. So I don't want to give anything away, but I will say this because I don't know if this is true anymore. I'd have to like really when I get mm -hmm. there, I'll, I'll, I'll reassess. But I did a top 75. I couldn't do 100 because once I got to ranking 100, it was like. 50 movies could go in this last 25. It, it I don't know what became the, calculus. Yeah. yeah. So 75 <laughs> was kind of like a desert Island 75. Like these are the ones I would want. These are my favorites. This is how I like them. It would definitely change now, but faces was number four. Wow. But what's crazy though, is there were like four Cassavetes movies that could take that exact, like they wouldn't be below or above. It's just right. One of them is going to be here. It's, you know it's what I mean? The Cassavetes slot. Yeah. yeah it's the Cassavetes. You're, it's exactly what it is. Yeah. And so faces you know, this was is that. actually a really good desert Island movie because there's movies that I think maybe instinctually I would put higher because they're quote unquote, my favorite movies, but it's like, do you really want to watch Zodiac if you're stranded on like a desert Island? Like, I think you just want to kill yourself. Like at, at least faces would like remind you what it is like to be a human being and what it is like to be around people. So if you wanted to get really analytical with desert Island picks, I think this would be a fantastic choice because it would, it would keep that sparkle on it. You, you yeah. Know? It's, I mean, it's absolutely great. And, and just, again, I was going to sum up the performances and totally did not do that, but I'll just say this uh, <laughs> as far as, as far as my opinion on the performances, there's something perfect about them. And it, it, it is that nuance. And once I learned how Cassavetes directs, it made me understand it so much more. And honestly, it made me like, I wish you and I could make a movie set in one house yeah. And just try that, you know, like try yeah. his style, try the breadcrumb, because now I feel like I'm not an actor, but, you know, I've I've acted in like student things. See, I was always the dude that was like five years older. So I always played like the adult. Yeah. <laughs> like they would the, never the, cast the, like the guy defending your avatar DVD with yeah. the shotgun, you know, the role yeah. we've seen a thousand times. Yeah, I'll have to post that uh, that short. But um. <laughs> Anyways, yes, I was in a robe with a shotgun, um, and I had like an Avatar VHS, which actually doesn't exist. They created it right. for that. But anyways, so um, 
But anyways, you know, I I I was in one of your like a music video or book trailer or something for you, and I, I did. I a lot of people would ask me because I just looked older than other people. Um, but I but I'm not an actor at all. Uh, but right. I feel like I understand acting better learning about and watching Cassavetes. If that says anything yeah. about the performances, I feel like yeah. seeing the level of nuance. And another thing, too, is sometimes people act how... So let me preface this, actually. You know when you're in a situation, like watching a movie, rather, and someone else is in a situation, and you go, I would never do that. And I often, when I think that, I often really start thinking about it, and I reevaluate that, and I go, wait, wait, wait. With the adrenaline that would be happening at that moment, I wouldn't be able to think clearly. Yeah, yeah. Like, would I do something different or could I fall into this same trap? Yeah. And the Cassavetes, I think people do that a lot. Like, when we get yeah. to Husbands, which we're about to get to, there is a point in there that I'll probably come back to where one of the characters does something. And I'm like, he's acting so weird under the circumstances. Like, why would you do that? But we'll just get into it. Anyways, when Ben Gazzara... <laughs> <laughs> um, has that fight with his wife. You know what I'm talking yeah. about. And they're out on the lawn, just laying, like sitting there. And he's just laughing and they're goofing off. And I'm like, why is he laughing? This is so heavy. Yeah. Like, shit just I, got I fucked a, up. I have a theory. I have a theory about that. Yeah. yeah well, my, my thing was like, dude, people said the same you, shit you about me going no through my divorce. Uh, exactly. People, same thing going through like my mother's death. Or my grandmother's death. Why am I not crying all the time? It's that. It's like the grief scripts, right? Like social mm-hmm. scripts that that we're supposed to have. Um, but that's just not how life works, you know. And not at all. So even though I can't relate, and that's kind of how I've reevaluated that, right? I can't relate to the way that Ben Gazzara, for example, acts in that scene, or or how you know Jenna Rollins acts in the scene you brought up. Uh, about asking about her being charged yeah. prior to that. Like, she acts really weird sometimes, and yeah. I love it about her. Um, I can't relate to that, um, but I find something so pure and so meaningful right. in those performances because of that. Um, and I yeah, think, that I about sums up my interesting, feelings. Just, just to sort of put a little bow on that, I think it's also interesting. There's like every time something like that happens, he knows not to push it into crazy town. When I say he, I mean Cassavetes, but I guess it's a combination of Cassavetes and the individual performer. Like there are moments like that in a lot of his movies, but I think they never, they never fully breach into incoherence. Do you know what I mean? It's always just like, huh, what an interesting yeah. reaction to that scenario. Yeah. And it's, it's, something, it's something my girlfriend brought up if there's a parallel to that Gezerra scene in Husbands you just brought up, it's in Faces, it's when Marley is joking around with Lynn Carlin and it seems like they're having a great time and it just cuts to them the next the next morning or maybe it's even later that night, I can't recall. And he's just like, I wanted the world. And that sort of pinged her radar. And she's yeah. like, why did he say that then? And... I think if there's a similarity between those two scenes, I think Cassavetti wants to paint a picture of these relationships where it's like, man, I don't know if that's the first time that happened. You know, yeah. in the case of husbands, I think that might be like the second or fifth or 10th time. <laughs> Gezera has had that interaction with his wife. Yeah. In the case of faces slightly different, but I think the parallel is, yeah, they're laughing around, but they're on autopilot. Yeah, they're they they're already done. 
Marley is done when we meet him. Marley yeah. is done before we meet Carlin in relation to him, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I think that's an important thing when you, when you consider the fact that characters do do what you're saying in his films quite often. Yeah. You just said do do anyways. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> nice. that's, that's a great point. And, um, you know, I, I don't expect you to have prepared anything so trivial as a rating, but I just want to say for me, faces is a five out of five. I mean, I just, yeah, it's I, just yeah. one of those perfect little things. Uh, I was so hyped, uh, because the day that this airs the following day. So next Wednesday is right. uh, Cassavetti's birthday. C- Cassavetti's birthday. Um, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know, man. Uh, this, so this movie is 52 years old. I just realized, I just put in my head, wow. I just put in my mind right now that Husband's, this is its 50th anniversary year, right? Which is crazy. Wow. So yeah. um, I don't have very many notes at all for, well, I have some notes, but I mean that I did while I watched, but I don't have any cool trivia or anything. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I'll bring That's that fun. up at some point, but um, uh, in the future, uh, but I just want to jump into husbands with you. We're just going to have a, mm-hmm. a, a, a kind of a continued conversation because I have a feeling a lot of our conversations about these movies are going to cover a lot of the same there's, bases. There's some bleed. There's some bleed over. Yeah, for sure. But but I I hope that it is. Um, I hope that it just kind of continues to nail in to any listeners who maybe haven't seen it or or should rewatch these movies. Um, just how consistent and how powerful each of them are uh, that I've seen at least. I'm kind of giving away my feelings about some of them, but um, with husbands, uh, much like your reaction, because I'd never seen this prior to today, uh, the day yeah. that we were recording this. Um, with faces, you said you were watching with your girlfriend, and you were mm-hmm. like, "Is this all the movie is?" Like, you yeah, know what I mean? Because yeah. it, it goes, it's like twenty <laughs> the minutes. First ten minutes, yeah, you have or that something. Moment where you're like, yeah, yeah. Well, dude, like this movie was like. <laughs> The, like the first, first half like an hour, hour. yeah is yeah like, it's yeah <laughs> um, i actually have it in my notes i'm gonna i'm not gonna read it right this second um but like oh uh, actually it's right i think i have it right here um it doesn't matter the point is um the moment that really snapped me in because like i said i just love movies about humans i love about behavior emotions all these things um, so I'm in automatically from the beginning, you know, um, this, it basically covers the story of, uh, Cassavetes who's acting in it. Um, Peter Falk and Ben Gazzara go to, uh, it starts off the opening scene is a bunch of still pictures and they're partying mm-hmm. with this guy and then they end up at a funeral and that extra fourth person is not there. So you assume he's dead mm-hmm. and it's eventually confirmed very opening of the movie. So, uh, basically, the entire movie is about these three married men uh, trying to essentially cope with the death of their friend. Um, yeah. But usually it's one of the three are having some sort of breakdown and they're all yeah. going for the ride. And then someone else breaks down. They all go for the ride. And it just, uh, of course, you know, spirals. They end up in London. <laughs> like, you know, like it gets really wild. But it's a very, um, a very Francis Ha thing when you think about it yeah no that yeah. yeah that's a good point and but the the thing is like for me the movie didn't like grab me until the scene yeah. with Gazera and his wife but there was something sure. um like it's really setting up who these people are prior to that you know um especially when and, and it's very protracted <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and and they have the singing contest 
if you remember. And everyone's yeah. like sitting around and the three folk Cassavetes and uh, Gazara are like sitting there and basically just like either praising people or being like really mean. It's it's <laughs> that's actually the scene that that's actually the scene that the first scene that like roped me in. That's because, where I started. Yeah. Right. For me, that scene paints this picture of these guys where it's like, oh, they are like, they are like, I don't mean this in the psychopath way. You're sick. I mean it in like a sympathetic way. Like they are ill. Like, <laughs> yeah. like they are like not well right now. Yeah. And they and, were super fucking drunk is what. <laughs> yeah. In, in a way that was like very realistic. And they're, they're, I, I think there's, if if you want to be like the, the stupid pretentious film scholar, like I have inside me, like a lot of film fans have buried in them. If we want to let that guy out for a second, I think you can look at that singing contest scene as like a metaphor for like them trying to extract joy out of this sort of world that's being kind of static to them, being kind of cold to them. Yeah. That can't immediately give them back what they need in the moment. Yeah. You know, I think that scene works on a metaphorical level, but even if you, again, if you, we want to put that super pretentious analytical deconstruction, oh, I do. we want to bury that. <laughs> if we want to bury that back inside of us, I also think the scene works on a literal level where yeah. it's just what these three guys are so messed up by this funeral. They're like tormenting this, this, like this, like poor middle-aged our patron when yeah. she's trying to but, sing this like war hymn. Yeah, well, but the 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 key though is that not only are they distressed by their friend dying, but Gazara from the beginning, and they all eventually kind of at least like um, uh, act on this, whether they say it or not. None of them want to go home because their no. home lives are also not giving them what they need. So they're no, they're essentially. Exhibiting behaviors that are just begging for, like you said, extracting. Like they're just they're yeah. begging for something to make them feel the way they did prior to all of this shit, right? Yeah. So uh, the singing contest, um, they are so mean to that poor woman. You know, you have the war the war hymn that you're talking about. Maybe both of them are, but the war hymn they were like praising her so much, and then this poor lady. <laughs> She sings a song. I, I wrote down a few of the lyrics. It was like, uh, it was just a little love affair. Yeah, and yeah. Before Which she, she has gets... to repeat like twenty times in the scene, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what's funny is Falk is being so nice the whole time until she sings, and then he's a dick right along. Like, yeah. like, like Cassavetes and Gazara being assholes, but like Falk's being cool. He's like, like Gus, which is Cassavetes' character's name. He's just like Gus, shut up. Should stop yeah. talking. You know, he's like trying to be cool. But as soon as she starts singing, he's just like, you're terrible. Like, yeah. <laughs> like stop what's, singing. What's funny Give me some heart. They never, they never get a receipt for that until like the very end. Because uh, not to jump around too much, but when the British girl is talking to Casavetes and she's like, I hate you and your stupid, like sniggering friends. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, I feel like that's actually like the karmic receipt for what they did in the first scene it's Very like somehow point. she knows that they have that in them when yeah. they're when when she's sort of giving them what's what yeah absolutely that's a great point yeah you know there i have a few a couple of things uh written down that i want to i want to bring up let me see if yeah so 
I think this is a perfect example of like each of their characters as well, uh, both in the singing contest, but also like um, after Gazara fights with his wife and they're on the train because he's like, I'm going back to work. And the other dudes are like, OK, but they're all like gross and like not shaved. Even- not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all that. And he's giving them shit. Peter Falk is, is happily, happily smelly. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. So it's like in that moment I wrote down, can anyone give a fiercer look than Ben Gazzara? That dude can just oh, no. look at it's... someone and just hurt them. <laughs> like shoot, shoot. Yeah. The, you know, the phrase the like proverbial uh, daggers, you know? Yeah. Shooting daggers at someone, man, it's brutal. And then at like, there's another point where I literally, <laughs> I just wrote down like, can anyone play a more irritating character than John Cassavetes? I love him. Like that's what mm-hmm. I wrote down. And it's the scene where he is with the British lady in the bedroom and she's like, he's essentially, it's weird. It borderlines assault because she keeps the, the, begging the, the him. The Greco-Roman <laughs> exercises they're doing. <laughs> yeah. The Greco-Roman exercises. Yeah. It's that man. That's kind of cringy at yeah, times. Boy, but, did, boy did Kale not like this movie either. That was like one of the few reviews I read about this. She was she was not big on the husbands. <laughs> Dude, she's not a Cassavetes fan. There's no way. Right. She, so I could see her maybe liking a woman under the influence or at least appreciating it to some extent. Yeah. But I can't imagine her liking any of his movies. No. Because I, if- I, I think her, her review of Faces is kind of, I don't want to act like I know more than her, obviously. But I think her review of faces sort of misses the point. But I think her review of husbands, it it like is kind of just a taste thing. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. If that if that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. But like you know, Cassavetes, whenever he first meets the British lady in the bar, and he buys scotch, and he's trying to you know he's trying to speak French, and he's making up this Italian, yeah. and, you know, all this stuff. He's just irritating. Like yeah, he's just yeah. so obnoxious. It's it's a perfect example of what I was saying with faces or or any other uh, movie where it's like it's a perfect example of someone that I don't like. Like I would never hang out with this person. He's a fucking dentist acting this way, which is also hilarious because you'd never think this guy. Also, as a dentist, how unprofessional he like lets Peter Falk in <laughs> when he's with a patient and they're just like gossiping in front of her. And like, she's terrified. I guess it's fine because she's because she's yeah in the middle of a like nervous breakdown. But <laughs> dude, she's so nervous, she's panicking because she's like scared to death of the dentist, yeah. and he's sitting here not even paying attention to her, bitching about Ben Gazzaro with Peter Falk. He really you know? is. He really is a worm in this film, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> a worm. Yeah, dude. He's. I mean, yeah. He's just kind of a dick, and then. Uh, Peter Falk, man. Uh, I put, uh, is there a better jerk with a heart of gold than Peter yeah. Falk? Because dude can do some real asshole shit. Like what he did with, um, with, uh, the, uh, young Asian lady that he has, uh, in, in the room. Um, and you know, they start kissing and stuff and then he just throws her off and starts yelling cause she tried to tongue yeah. kiss him. So I had a I had a little bit of a I think this is what we were talking about with characters do things that maybe sometimes don't cohere to us. It's almost like it's it's almost like after being so cold to him, he's like offended that like she's still down. It's like a very interesting, I think, like Madonna whore thing happening with him in that moment where it's like 
Well, you have her in your bedroom and now you're mad that she's tongue kissing you. Yeah. Oh, but it's like, he's mad that she's tongue kissing him in the context of not talking to him. It's like, oh, how needy can you get? Yeah. 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 But, but just like, I don't know, dude, there's something I think of, and I don't want to get into this cause this would be for the next episode, but um, mm-hmm. you know, a woman under the influence, it's like, he can be a real asshole to Jenna Rollins, Rollins character, sure. but it's like, yeah. but you know, in his heart, he's trying to be a good husband. He's trying to be a good person. It's just it, that is exhibited in bad way, like yeah. in kind of jerk ways, you know. Um, I love the scene where, uh, you know, he's puking and Cassavetes is just in the stall with him. <laughs> like, yeah. Like just sitting, but yeah. they won't let Ben Gazzara be in there. <laughs> and no. he, he just keeps. And he gets, he gets mad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They just start fighting with each other. And um, I don't know. But anyways, so like those are like my three takeaways from each of the actors was like, that's my pinpoint. It's like Ben yeah. Gazzara has the fiercest looks. Cassavetes, I love him, but he's a fucking asshole. And yeah. um, you know, Peter Falk can be a jerk, but he's he's one of the closest people to someone I'd want to talk to in the movie. You know, like I feel like he I, wants I to agree. do right. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I feel like he wants to um, do right. But yeah, go ahead. I I just I think that's a very accurate summation of the film, and I think it it sort of plays into what we were talking about earlier about. Cassavetes being motivated by this obsession with behavior because if you were to pitch that movie now I mean I don't want to get into like the ins and outs of obviously we know the industry is in a weird place right now and they're not making as good a stuff as they should whatever we have that's given but just the fact that not only can you make a movie with no sympathetic characters but the the characters are I, I don't want to say no sympathetic characters I want to rewind and say they are surface level bluntly unlikable Yes. The the sympathy comes when you sort of learn to have a sort of philosophical approach and realize that what we're seeing is three people that are in like tremendous existential pain. And that doesn't justify what they do to other people, but it does give us insight into that behavior. Yeah. And think about that kind of as a conceptual nugget on its own. And now combine that with the aesthetics of the film when they're still in New York. It's very like cold. Like every time they're outside, it just looks so cold. Yeah. They're in those dark long coats with the gloves. I couldn't stop thinking. This sounds like a really weird comparison, but bear with me. I couldn't stop thinking of Darjeeling Limited when I was watching this movie for a number of reasons. Number one, aesthetically, Darjeeling has that whole sequence that's a flashback in New York where they are dressed identically to the main characters. Interesting. The three brothers, uh, Owen Wilson, Adrian Brody, Jason Schwartzman, dressed in the same like tweed long coats with gloves as they are. Number two, even though they're brothers in Darjeeling Limited and they're not brothers and husbands, I think they share this molecular DNA of being people that are surface level, like, pretty shitty and worm-like and unlikable. But as we watch the film, our sympathies for them grow because we realize that basically all they're doing, the way that they're acting, the way they're acting is the result of like some pretty serious, like familial damage. Yeah, I think the biggest differences are obviously Darjeeling is set in India and has a lot more comedic elements. Whereas Husbands, I think it's fair to even faces. I think you can argue has like a lot of moments of dark humor. I don't know, man. Husbands to me reads as a straight up tragedy. 
I don't know how what your takeaway was. I mean, but that was my takeaway. Anytime Cassavetes laughs, I'm going to laugh <laughs> because he has sure, this. Sure. You know, I've smoked you know four billion cigarettes in my life, and I'm only halfway through it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, dude has a great laugh, and it it only gets worse in like love streams because he's so his throat is just so destroyed from cigarettes and booze that it's just yeah. his laugh is just ridiculous. But but no, like uh, anytime Cassavetes puts a scene together, dude, like I laugh. But it's like I'm not in every scene, but you know what I mean. Like like uh, d- like whenever whenever he and Peter Falk are like doing a walking. <laughs> A race walking, right, 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 and they right. look so stupid walking that fast, right? But it's so genuine, like it sincerely feels like two people really trying to outwalk each other. Sure, um, but they look stupid, like it looks mm-hmm. so dumb. Or like all three of them kind of fighting, playing tag or yeah, whatever yeah. they're doing in the streets when they're like, like just running around the streets. Yeah. yeah, like that, like that stuff makes me kind of laugh because of how sloppy and real it feels to me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not a funny movie. And like, again, like there are the two scenes that kind of stand out to me in terms of that had the biggest emotional impact, though. I don't think that they are kind of the crux or most important, uh, like signature moments. Um, but is the fight with the wife. And I want to break that down in a second. And then, um, the, the hotel scene with Cassavetes and and the British lady, um, Mm -hmm. cause those, there was, the hotel scene was cringy to me. Like that was sure. kind of hard to watch in a good way. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Like, like I like being put in that position. If you can organically do that to me, I'm all about it. Right. And he mm-hmm. did, but it's, it, it was like kind of hard to watch because she's also going back and forth between laughing and looking really serious. So I also never got a yeah, sense she's of not like giving you cues to be like, how should I feel about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. It, so it, it becomes this kind of very ambiguous thing, which is why I said it's like kind of like some weird like partial assault happening right now, like because I can't figure out like what's happening, <laughs> but but well, but I, in I, a realistic I, yeah. way, like in a way that is like believable. But go ahead. Well, I I, I don't know if you want to go through those scenes in order. I don't want to jump into the hotel scene if you wanted to make it more chronological well but. let's let, let's uh, let's do that then real quick so so you have uh please put a pin in that because i don't want you to forget that if mm-hmm. you're gonna forget it just say it. I won't. But, um I won't. so you know they're they're running through the city and they're they're doing all this goofy shit after their friend's funeral um because ben gazara is like really struggling and they're they're pissed off i've been i've been here for sure, I can name five funerals to you right now that this happened. But uh, where like the pastor or the minister, whoever is fa- is facilitating um, the uh, kind of funeral the service, speech yeah. or service, thank you, um, said something that I didn't think was appropriate or whatever, and that's where it all starts. Is they're pissed about it and they want to go get drunk, and then mm-hmm. it turns into singing contests and meeting people and doing, you know, just it just goes on and on and on until the end of the film. And uh, after they're doing all this stuff, they have the singing contest, and then uh, you know Peter Falk's puking in the in the bathroom, and they have that whole scene. Uh, ben Gazar goes home, and uh, he goes in, and his mother in law's there, but he can't find his wife, and he gets shaves, and he gets you know uh, washed up, and he goes down, and he goes, where is she? And she, I don't think the mom says anything, but he kind of picks up on it and he leaves. But then he comes like right back in after he sees his friends 
and she's there now. Like she's mm-hmm. come out from hiding basically. And it's she's very I mean her body language and everything, she's almost kind of hiding behind her mom. She's just like clearly oh, does not want to see him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. This is over. But this is man, I love this. And this is what I'll start with with you, and then you can say whatever you want about the scene. Mm-hmm. When he says, Let's let's not sugarcoat this basically. Let's not act like this is going on. You don't love me. Like, what are we doing here? You know? And she basically is just like, I hate you. (laughs) I don't want to be with you. And then that's when he starts getting kind of abusive and it gets like really intense. I mean, dude, like how do you break that scene down? You personally, Um, is that like an impactful scene for you when you watched it? Cause that was like one of the signature moments for me. Yeah. Look, I, I think, I I think the basis of this is something that I said when we were talking about phases, which is basically, you know, my gut interpretation is this is not the first or probably second time this has happened. Right. I, I, I think this has happened before and we're just seeing it when it happens today. Yeah. You know, and I think there's a lot of things you can point to. Um, again, Faces as a comparison, I actually think the ending of Faces is melancholy, but hopeful because the two main characters know what they need to do and they've already kind of taken steps to do it. Yeah, It's melancholy because two people are parting ways, but it's actually both characters are kind of getting what, what they want. What's darker is, you know, none of that's resolved at the end of Husbands. None I mean, he stays, he stays in England. I mean, the, but the whole point, though, is that they all go back home to the thing they were running from for the last however many days right. that it's, the movie and, takes and that's, place. That's why I look at it like a tragedy. It's like, it's still there, you know? Even if Ben stays in the UK longer, it's, it's going to be there when he gets back. I, I think a nuance of that argument scene that's also very interesting is the fact that I could be mixing up something that happens later in the scene and thinking it's earlier, but I don't think I am. She basically says, I hate you. I don't love you anymore. And later when they're fighting, he makes her say, I love you. Oh, and but he makes her get on her knees. Oh yeah. And it's very sort of, you know, there's sort of like a, uh, you know, like a, like a domineering, obviously like sexual overtones to just yeah. that sort of asymmetry. And even the phrase like get on your knees, there's like something we think oh, about yeah, sometimes, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think, but also how does he get her there? He threatens her mom. <laughs> oh, it's, you know what I mean? It's like, it's fucked up. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. I, I, I think, I think the sort of, uh, personal tragedy of the three characters in that movie is this struggle for control. Whereas you can say there's a little bit of that in faces in sort of the way that any time there's relationship issues, like control will be part of it, the way communication will be part of it. But I think it's a much bigger gaping wound on the souls of the characters and husbands. I mean, even what you brought up, the sort of scene that sort of kickstarts the movie where they're bitching about what the, uh, the uh, pastor said during the, the funeral, it's control, right? I, I think they're not only are they really shaken by the fact that they, you know, they got a big memento mori, they got a big, oh, you don't yeah. control this, your friend's gone, but they don't control his legacy, right? This guy who does a job speaking in front of people controls that. And yeah. I think it, they, they, it's, they're driven insane by the fact that they can't control the things in their lives. And I think that not only explains the scene with Ben Gazzara and his wife, 
but I think it explains the uncomfortable Greco-Roman thing in the hotel <laughs> that we'll get to later. But they can't even know? they can't even control themselves. Oh, and that's of course that's yeah. I mean that's that's paramount. You know. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're drinking till the morning when they have work the next day, which again, you know, maybe a little bit more common in 1970, but still, I mean, that's that is degeneracy. You know. Yeah. It's yeah yeah I don't know that so like yeah that scene uh, I can't stress enough I kind of just went down like a chronological line of little like beats that have like bullet points basically mm-hmm. if anybody listens to this and you haven't seen Husbands from 1970 uh, I am not ruining anything like you can't no, no, ruin no. a Cassavetes yeah. movie I like he's like one of those guys things where- happen in his movies and just you know. <laughs> It, it's all the actual movie is the stuff that happens that triggers those things. One hundred percent, because it's all about yeah. You have this. There's like something that happens yeah. that triggers people to begin talking, and then it's all about humanity. Then like that. If like, I could get a nerdy and structuralist just for a second, go. Um, my preface to this is: I don't think there is one way to make a movie. I don't think there's one way to write a screenplay. I don't think it works that way. But I think we have patterns of stuff people do a lot, and we can use those patterns as a as a sort of reference point to compare people that do more creative things like John Cassavetes. That's just my covering my ass because I don't think there's one way to make a good movie or tell a good story. But I think when you look at your average Hollywood screenplay, you will notice a, a pattern of three-act structure. I mean, three-act structure is in and of itself a pattern, but you'll notice a pattern, and that's the first act is usually 15 to 20 minutes long. The second act is usually the bulk majority of the movie. And then the third act, the resolution, is usually 10 or 15 minutes long. I think when you look at Cassavetti's movies, this happens in Faces, but it's so prominent in Husbands because Husbands is so long. I think Cassavetti's looks at it more like a play with three chunks that are all kind of the same length yeah so i think if you were to put husbands in the framework of traditional three-act structure and storytelling you'd be like why is the first act an hour long and that's i think an inaccurate way to look at it just in terms of i think cassavetes didn't i don't think it was like that for him i think he looks at his films as part one part two part three And all of those parts are like relatively the same length. And I think that's one of the reasons why his films tend to have that really protracted pacing. I think it's a little bit more obvious in Husbands than it is in Faces for a number of reasons. But what's funny about that that argument with his wife scene is if you were to do like some sort of Hollywood remake, that scene would happen on like page 10 or 10 to 15 and then they would be in England by like page 25 and that would be the rest of the movie. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I guess but so. But that's, that's not, that's not what he wants to do. He wants to spend an hour with these guys just getting to know them before, you know, before quote unquote, the plot starts happening, which yeah. I think absolutely you could pinpoint that scene as kind of the scene that propels the rest of the movie, you know? Yeah, and I, I think going. Sorry into, if that was too nerdy or analytical. There's but. no such thing on 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 this show. I I, I love <laughs> get I love going down down this path here. You know, I I I really love that scene. Uh, I mean, that like I said, that is a that is a pivotal uh, signature moment for me. The other scene being the hotel room. Um, again, I'm going to let you lead off on this. What 
tell me about that scene. Is is that another scene that kind of impacts you in some way? That that very yeah, it's awkward, it's it's hard to scene? ignore. It's hard to ignore too because I you know I'm I'm sort of like a hopeless contrarian when it comes to reevaluating past movies. I I think there's this big wave of people that want to reevaluate things from the past with a modern lens. And I just think, well, when you do that, you're always going to think they're fucked up. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like, that's the the nature of progressivism is that we assess things that we think are skewed. And then we try to alter and progress society so that those things that we think are fucked up or problematic at the very least happen less. Right. So I, I think there's this whole thing, you know, Molly Ringwald tweeting out, how am I exposed? How am I supposed to explain 16 candles to my, it's like, you say it was at a different time and that that people did things differently. Having said all this, I find it interesting that when I was looking up husbands, a lot of people were like, oh man, it's so, it's like misogynistic. And there are scenes like the scene with Cassavetes and the British woman in the hotel room where it's like, fuck man. I mean, it's, it's pretty brutal, but I think it's important to point out that I think the point is that those characters are like Dude, that. Dude, 100%. You know? I think a key... So you're touching on something that kind of will cross any movies that we talk about. Yeah. Um, is that there's a difference between the film adopting a mentality and exhibiting it in support of it, right? Like, right. like the film itself is saying this is how women should be treated versus the characters themselves doing something that we find 100%. maybe reprehensible or something. 100%. But the film is not adopting or supporting that. Not at it all. makes cuz you very much see Cassavetes as being kind of a dick there. At least that was my perce- perception. No, I mean I, I, I think never we're supposed to, yeah. I do. I agree. And and I don't I never in a like a million years would have thought like, man, this film really hates women. <laughs> like to yeah, me, it almost like this film is about characters who have some really, really serious problems with women. You know? Yeah. And, and I think it's also really telling that the and next themselves. day, once day, like daylight hits, the British woman's with him and kissing him. And is like the last scene you see from that night prior is she's fighting him off. And the next morning she's like kissing him and taking him out for coffee. Yeah. And so like that's good. Sorry, I don't want to cut you off if you had more to say. All I was going to say was I think that's a very interesting kind of human element as well. That doesn't For say sure. like, oh, because she stayed with them, the film is adopting the mentality that it's okay to treat women this way. I don't believe that right. at all. I think a lot of people fucking stay in bad situations, and this is one example of that. Or like, yeah. I mean, you could really explain it away in many ways, but I think it's far more, uh, there are far more layers to that. Go ahead and say what you were going to say. Yeah. I mean, just to go back to thematically, like a film about characters isn't an advocacy for those characters. I mean, in recent memory, the one that I remember coming up sort of constantly in conversation was Wolf of Wall Street. Oh yeah. A lot of people really didn't like that movie and the fact that it's centered on such an asshole, but it's sometimes the answer is that you don't like the movie. (laughs) Like, yeah. And I think, people need to be okay with getting to that point before they get to the point where it's the movie is saying something that's wrong. Yeah. Because I think 
you know, we could be the guys that are okay with everything because of whatever our backgrounds, our perspective, whatever you, you can list anything and it's all valid. But some people just aren't interested in a movie that's about, let's say, this guy who fucks people out of money selling penny stocks who cheats on his wife all the time and does drugs. Yeah. That's perfectly fine. But I think that point comes before that film is wrong for being about what it's about. Yeah. You know, I think at a certain point you just got to go, I'm not into that, which is fine. How many people have you talked to that like, cause this, I feel like has happened with me a lot. They don't like like mob movies just because like the mob was never something that was like glamorized for them. So they're like, I'm just not into it. You know, well, I could write a dissertation on why I think like casino is fucking awesome, but like sometimes you just don't respond to stuff and like, that's fine. Yeah. That's totally fine. As far as the scene in question goes, the thing that I was going to say earlier was um, I think one of the reasons why it's so uncomfortable is like you were talking about how the, 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 the actor portraying the British woman, like it's like every time she starts laughing, she like stops and then switches. And then when it seems like she's really or not, not okay with it, she switches again and starts laughing. It's, it's very bipolar in what it does to us. Yeah. It kind of remind me of something that like maybe Todd Solans would do in like a less subtle way, you know, but think about um, like the fact that it doesn't really go anywhere I actually think is like crucial to why it's more uncomfortable because if that scene sort of progressed and like Cassavetes is wrestling her down and whatever, and it sort of got to a point where maybe he like, I don't know, groped her a little bit or something. And then she slaps him and stands up and says, that is enough. And he looks like an ashamed dog. So more happens there, but it wouldn't be as uncomfortable because we would be able to go like, Oh, okay. He did the bad thing and got scolded. Yeah. The fact that we stay in that tenebrous sort of like nebulous space of is this okay? Is this isn't? Is this not okay? And then immediately go to the next morning. I mean, I think that's you hit at the essence of why that scene is so uncomfortable. And it's because it doesn't give us think about straw dogs, right? Well, the scene with the wife and straw dogs, like they, yeah. a thing happens, right? Yeah, yeah It's yeah. easy to have an opinion about that scene because it progresses to the point where like sex happens, yeah, you know, for, yeah. for lack of a, a more subtle way to say it. But yeah, I really think what makes that scene work on such a visceral level is that both Cassavetti as, as director and the performers, they just don't give us any like clear out yeah. into how to formulate an opinion about it, you know? Well, there's two things to that. You mentioned uh, how, uh, like, they don't give you the thing where she stands up and firmly says, stop it, you know, and he looks like a scalded or, or dog. Or acquiesces and just, take me now, you know, neither, neither happen. Yeah, well, you know? something Cassavetes himself and the actors that he directs, uh, his whole troupe that were so they were so good at, was uh, kind of being faithful to these characters and living in their shoes. And I wouldn't believe it if his character just stopped because the entire fucking movie, he never stops. Right. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, like I, totally uh, I mean, it, it just, it makes sense. And I'm not saying I want to see him do that. Like, I don't, but at the same time, you know, that's that's what this character's doing. And it makes me feel something and there's a purpose for it. 
Um, but also, it, it's kind of like the argument. I think you and I have had this conversation. I think we're on the same side of this argument. But uh, it's the idea of like irreversible, like the movie Ir- Gaspar yeah. Noé's Irreversible and the nine-minute rape scene, right? Sure. And it's like, is the rape scene, should it be there, right? Like there's mm-hmm. like this big argument on like, you know, it's just exploitation. He makes you sit and watch from beginning to end this man rape this woman in this kind of like under uh, underwalk thing, this underground sidewalk. Thing. Under the yeah, underpass. Where Thank the, you. Where yeah, the underpass. Yeah, I couldn't fucking think of the <laughs> the phrase, but um, sure. But uh, yeah, I think um, it's pivotal. I think it's like sure. now. Does it need to be nine minutes? That might be debatable. But the point is, it is. And it serves a purpose. Yeah, the point is and, the director telling that story <laughs> decided that it would be. Yeah, and and it's hard to watch. And I mean, that's an understatement. I mean, that might be one of the hardest scenes I've ever had to sit through, right. to be honest. But um, and, and I don't look forward to seeing it again, though I would watch the movie again. But it's just it's a mm-hmm. like it haunts me still in a way that I appreciate almost. You know, like like films don't yeah. do that to me, right? But anyways, um, but like watching that happen, that is. Yeah, pivotal in everything. Because for anybody listening that hasn't seen Irreversible, uh, the whole movie's backwards, like Memento. Nolan's Memento, except for it never goes forward. It's a much better film than Memento. <laughs> but it's, you it's, didn't hear it from me, though. It's the, it's the last, like, the opening scene is the final credits. And then it literally yeah. goes backwards until the very opening, like, the very last scene you see is the title card for Irreversible. Like, it goes yeah. backwards in that way. So the whole time you're seeing these reprehensible terrible violent things and then you finally see the reason yeah and without the, that yeah yeah my, my point all i was gonna say was you know without that uh you lose an entire um aspect of that movie for sure so my e- ebert ebert has my favorite phrase about that or my favorite quote about that movie i should say which is it. like its structure makes it inherently moral because the film opens with the fallout of such a destructive act. Yeah. And any film that puts such an emphasis on the destruction that an act like that could cause has to be inherently moral. And I thought that was very profound. That's it. And yeah. I, I always remember that. Very interesting. And I think he's also the one that talks about if it were chronological, it would be pure exploitation. It would be like a uh, you know thriller. It would be like one of these like drive-in movies, yeah. which which have their merits. They're just separate, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but anyways, bringing this back to husbands, though, my point is, you know, like there are things that that these people do um, that are not good. <laughs> like I yeah. mean, some of the, I mean, also just thinking of it, you know, um, you know, how however people. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, the The point is, you know, the, all these guys are like cheating on their wives. And yeah, they're all like, or, or at least like actively willing to. Yeah, even yeah, if we don't exactly. see it. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and and they're, I mean, they're out kind of seeking that. That's like the whole point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. There's there's a, there's a whole. I I don't mean to like reprimand someone who just wants to have sex, but the point is like there's a lot going on, and this is not something that they've talked to their spouses about. You know, being okay with. They don't give a fuck. They're very selfish. Right. They're, like they're we talked past about, that point. Yeah. yeah, like we talked about. They're not in control. Like they do not control themselves well. They're very impulsive. I mean, the whole thing of London, 
was Ben Gazzara walking down the street, and he goes, I'm out of here. I'm not going home. I'm going to London. You guys should yeah. come too. And then in a span of 30 seconds, they both go, yeah, we'll go with you to London. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, I mean, if- it's, it's, it's Britney Spears shaving her head. It's like, I, I think some people are driven to a point where you are willing to do anything for that feeling of retaking control of your life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's absolutely wild. Uh, give me, give me any of your last takes on husbands. Anything else? Yeah. Um, I, I feel like, it, it divided critics similar to how Faces did, but I, I I feel like I understand the criticisms for this one more. I feel like on the whole, Husbands is sort of a more acquired taste as a film because I think it offers less in terms of silver lining, less in terms of character redemption, less in terms of... Um, it's not a really tender movie, you know? And I no. think that's one of the things that is great about Faces. Um, I enjoy it. I do think it can probably lose 20 minutes personally. Yeah. You know, I, so, I do think it's a little too protracted. Well, I, w- I want to um, look something up because I watched this on Amazon because Amazon prime had it for free. You could just like, if you have mm-hmm. prime, you could just watch it. Sure. Um, and I just looked at the time cause you said it was so long and I was like, man, I feel like faces is longer and it's not. Um, yeah. but I thought it was, um, yeah, this the the version I watched. So this I guess is like an important thing. I watched a two hour and eleven minute version, which is approximately within a minute the same length as Faces. But on IMDb, it says it's two hours and thirty four minutes. That's the version I watched. So so yeah, I think I I think I watched what you wish you had watched, which is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, That's like pretty twenty funny. minutes um, cut yeah. off. Uh, I'm sure the Criterion version is like the extended one, if I had to guess. And mm-hmm. um and I I would definitely buy it. Uh, Husbands is, I mean I'll I'll just be bold enough to give my opinion on it. Uh, not as good as Faces, of course. I think Faces is just a masterpiece. I would agree. Um, yeah. And and I I also see why the movies they chose to put Criterion Collection chose to put in the five films box set are there and why like this or Love Streams or or uh, Minion and Moskowitz or any of those weren't in it sort of standalone yeah yeah um uh, I I can totally see it and I think it was a better choice uh, but uh, I think Husbands is totally worth seeing and like you said if for no other reason though these movies might feel the same and like they're doing the exact same things. Um, faces really not only is it about people, but like you said, there's like a melancholiness to it. There's almost like uh, like kind of pros and cons. Uh, I yeah. never really thought of husbands as a pure tragedy, but the more we talk about it, I'm 100% on board with kind of your feelings about that. I guess uh, mm-hmm. it's a good way to put it. I guess I hadn't put it that way in my brain. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm on board. Uh, Anybody that wants to see my rating for that, because I watched it literally so recently, I haven't gotten on Letterboxd <laughs> and did anything. So find me yeah. on Letterboxd, and uh, you can see that. Um, but yeah, uh, again, did you have any last things to say about Husbands? I already forget what you said. No, I, I think I got all my shit in. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I, I agree with you that Faces is a better film, I think, objectively. Um, ironic, because Husbands, I think, actually has much better cinematography. Um, it was on 35 millimeter and it's in color. There's a little bit more going on, but again, I think faces cinematography though ugly fits the film better. Yeah. So there's, there's kind of like a weird ratio thing where husbands is a little bit more pleasant to look at, but I don't know if it, 
it just has that energy connection that that the the grainy 16 mil does for faces yeah no that that's a good point it's uh he does a lot of the same stuff with faces though you know like the yeah. shots of faces you get a lot of he those. likes really yeah tight sort of like portrait style shots you yeah know? but it's like literally the face is the whole fucking yeah. screen you know what i mean like especially when peter falk is with the with the asian young lady and oh, yeah. it's it's you can't even see their whole faces like it's yeah. like so close um and i and i really love that but there's there's one quote that i did um note on here it's from i meant to mention this and i didn't it's from the scene where gazar is talking to his wife and I, I just think this is really uh when she said this i had like a reaction i guess it's one of the first things she says because he's like, "Why don't you love me anymore?" Basically, and she says, "I just feel uncomfortable in front of you. It's nothing personal." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I flagged it's that nothing, line in my head when like, she said that. Yeah, in all it's, caps. It's the definition of his personality. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. your personality scares me. Yeah, and and in all caps, I put, "How is this not personal?" <laughs> yeah, what is it business? What like, she actually means is. You fucking scare me. Don't hit me because I said that. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that what you just said really ties into a lot of the nuance of how he directs Cassavetes that is directs actors and and writes where it's like you know he's saying something without saying something which you as yeah. a writer I'm sure appreciate Subtext and understand is far so important. Yeah. 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 And and I think he's he's really great at it. Um. But yeah, that that pretty much sums up the first two movies. Uh, in our marathon, Faces and Husbands. Uh, the next time that uh, Jake and I talk, we're going to talk about uh, a woman under the influence and the killing of a Chinese bookie. Um, I think this is news to Jake because I haven't told him what we're doing next, but that's that what sounds, we're doing. That sounds great um, to me. <laughs> so we will do that, and that will probably air here in a couple of weeks. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I think that's good. I'm glad that we yeah. like Cassavetes, and these were really good Happy experiences. Happy birthday, John. Happy birthday, John. <laughs> um, yeah, from Beyond the Grave. Unfortunately, he died in 1989 because, um, yeah, uh, liver problems. I think like three months before I was born or about a year before I was born. Yeah, you little baby. So. Um, yep, and yep, Gina yep. Rollins is his real life wife, if you didn't know that. And what's uh, what makes me kind of sad, but what I find interesting is if you're a fan of the Notebook, that is his son. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> could not Good be more different than his dad, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, so yeah, if you want to see uh, his Offspring's movie, I guess you can go watch uh, the Notebook. You will be if you like John Cassavetes and expect that you'll be um, very disappointed. Um, not to say anything about the movie. Do you like The Notebook? I've never seen it all the way through. Really? I, when I yeah. saw it, I didn't dislike it. I didn't. I went into it because this is like 2004 when I saw it. I don't remember when it came out. Somewhere around there. Um, but like everyone was talking it up and I'm like, I am going to hate this movie on principle. <laughs> like that's that's where I was in my cinematic journey. It's like, I'm right. just going to hate this movie because it's it is a stupid romantic blah, blah, blah. And then when I watched it, I actually didn't uh, hate it, though um, mm -hmm. I didn't like it all that much. I was very neutral on it. I would actually love to revisit it. I would never put it in this. Um, this has no place in this marathon. <laughs> right. But it might be a companion piece that I have to throw in just so I can like uh, talk, talk about it. But about anyways, it, yeah. how do you feel about this, Jake? You feel good about it? This this felt really good. Um, it's It's a really interesting... 
as a filmmaker, his work is just very interesting to revisit now because I think, you know, obviously we just had a year where like three movies came out. So (laughs) like, that's part of it. But I, I just don't see anyone really doing what he's doing right now. So it's anyone listening that's thinking about it. I think it's worth your time to check out just because as a filmmaker, I feel like he had a lot to offer that just isn't being offered anywhere else right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll ask this last thing cause we're already longer than I wanted to be, but it's fine. I'm sure. having a great time. Um, so uh, you have, have you watched a Cassavetes movie since you were in AFI? Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to say, cause I was curious if like prior, like basically, you know, post ball state graduation to now, if this was the first time you watched, it, I was curious with like your updated screenwriter brain. Yeah. Uh, if, if that, that that's changed, actually a but... good thing, I think to tease killing of a Chinese bookie. Cause that's his film that I think I've seen the most times. So remember that you asked that because when <laughs> we're talking about that film, I think there's a lot I could sort of contribute in that department. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I I guess we're done. Cool. <laughs> It is always an absolute pleasure to talk to my friend, Jake Badaliri. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about the first two films in the Cassavetes Marathon, Faces from 1968 and uh, Husbands from 1970. Uh, It blows my mind that those are 52 and 50 years old, respectively. It's crazy that they are that good, that kind of... Um, not that movies can't, there are earlier movies that are just as good, if not better. My point is, uh, there's just something about how Cassavetes works and how he uh, creates things, his vision that, that just kind of, in my view, make them timeless. You know, they're, they're just kind of innately, inherently human. You know, there's something about them. I really love it. Um, like I said, next week I have something planned for y'all, but I can't really talk about it yet. Um, don't know why I just did that voice, but um, but I will get back to you on it. Uh, and then uh, the following week, hopefully, we will have part two of our marathon where we will cover a woman under the influence and the killing of a Chinese bookie. Please, if you want to follow along with us, and we encourage you to, please go check out A Woman Under the Influence from 1974 and the killing of a Chinese bookie, which I believe is 76 or five it's one of the two i really want to look it up but it's really not that important because you'll find it what other movie is called the killing of a chinese bookie he says as he looks it up even though he said it was not important um you're just gonna have to bear with me uh 1976 i found it there you go so um definitely go check that out ben gazara's in the killing of a chinese bookie and um it's really awesome. Anyways, both of those uh, I remember loving. I'm going to rewatch them before the marathon so that I can have a fresh perspective and an updated opinion. I hope you do the same. If you've seen it, if you haven't seen it, I hope you watch them for the first time. Please let us know what you think. Comments, questions, concerns about the marathon, about our opinions, Jake and I's opinions, Joe and I's opinions in the past, 
whatever you want to talk about. You can find us at Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. That is uh, Instagram. You can search Medium Cool Pod will pop up. And then at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also uh, email us with any you know feedback that you have at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. So please hit us up connect with us we would love to hear from you again you know we do this and we meaning i like me and the people i bring in with me like joe and jake and these different people you know we do this because we love it okay we do it because we don't get enough opportunities or at least i can speak for myself i don't get enough opportunities to talk about movies like this and i don't get enough motivation to see a lot of things that i want to see because i have a lot of hobbies and i have a lot of interests and uh, and I get really trapped in one for a certain you know cycle of time, and then I move on to the next thing, and I get really just completely enveloped in it. Um, but what this podcast is doing is it's kind of it's it's reacquainting we, me with uh, one of my first loves, um, because music and movies are kind of uh, tied there. And um, I, I like I've said before, I kind of let movies go for a little bit. I kind of just took a break. And, and it makes me sad because I wish I never had. And uh, I'm really happy to be here with you guys. And so uh, my hope is that you will contact us and give us your feedback. Let us know what you want to see, what you want to hear, all those things. We, uh, we already have had some polls. We would love to do some more polls. And we'd love to get some more answers and responses for those from you guys. Um, I don't know. I just know that uh, we really love you guys. Thank you so very much listening to us and giving us your time and uh yeah until next time good night good luck and take it easy